question. You stand with me and join. Meet me in the book of Genesis, chapter 22. That is the very first book of the Bible, and a 22 chapters into it. There are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. If you haven't got one with you today, please use that one. And if you haven't owned one, we'd love for you to take that one home. We really want you to have the Bible in your hands. We want you to have God's Word. It is powerful. Week in and week out, God does not fail to meet us in this room. Amen to that? And he does so through his word. I'm going to read Genesis, portions of Genesis chapter 22 to get our passage for today in front of us. And then I'll pray. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him, him, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide. Can you say God will provide? God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. This is God's word for us this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for who you are. You're a good, good father. And Lord, what a joy it is to be here in this place. Holy Spirit, meet us here. Give us ears to hear. Give us the eyes of faith to see, Lord. For the downcast, raise them up. For the proud, would you humble them? For the wounded, would you heal them? For the repentant, may they find forgiveness. Spirit of God, meet us here. And we pray the same for all the churches in our community. Meet them. Father, may we be a united force for your kingdom in this Chicago that we love. Be glorified in this place and remind us of your character. I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated, family. Mr. October, the man of steel, prime time, the king of rock and roll, 
the Godfather of soul, Bloody Mary, the round mound of rebound, the King of Pop, the Big Hurt, Honest Abe, the Dark Knight, and for all my Sandlot fans, the Sultan of Swat, the King of Crash, the Colossus of Clout, the Great. Oh, man, sad. I need some people watching that thing. But what about the man upstairs? Who be him? Nicknames tell us something about someone. And nicknames are usually born out of situations. Reggie Jackson is Mr. October. Because when he put on a baseball uniform in that month of October, he seemed to do magical kinds of things. Athletes get nicknames for certain performances. Politicians, actors and actresses, musicians, various people get nicknames oftentimes based on something about them. And culturally, in pop culture, God is known oftentimes as the man upstairs. And sometimes we hear it, but we ever think twice about what it means. Is God the man upstairs? When I hear the man upstairs, I hear of someone who's not at my level today. When I hear about the man upstairs, I think of someone who's apart from me, distant. When I hear the man upstairs, I think of someone who's really not too concerned about the people downstairs. When I hear about the man upstairs, I hear about a man who's upstairs. Is God the man upstairs? I'm here to tell you he is the God among us. Not a distant observer, but an engaged participant. He's not a reluctant deity, but a personal savior. He is a provider. He's not indifferent to your and my needs. And when we say that the Lord will provide, we're not speaking foolish optimism. Some people might hear us say, God's going to provide, and they're thinking, you're dumb. Because reality tells you it ain't going to happen. We speak God will provide and people think, oh, your religion is a crutch because you're miserable and you're hoping for something that just isn't there. But we're here to tell you today, family, that to speak the words God will provide is actually a thing of courageous faith. Because the fruit of our lips that speak those words are hanging on the branches of faith that are connected to the tree of God's character. When we speak God will provide, we're saying something about his character and not just something about our faith. You ever seen God provide for you, family? Anyone out there ever say God came through? Your back was ever against the wall and you thought it was over? And he answered prayers for people out there? Have you seen God take care of you? Is he a provider family? When you had no emotional strength, did you see him come through? When you had no relational situations and you were lonely, did God meet you in that place? You ever against the wall financially, like, I don't know where it's coming from, and it came from somewhere? Yes. You ever need wisdom for a decision, grace for a moment, hope for tomorrow? And God said, I got you. God is a provider. In order to speak the words, I'm acknowledging the fact as well that there are times where we feel like he hasn't been. I know there are times that we wonder, where have you been, God? 
And you must know that God is not the man upstairs, but God who is with you. Yes, he's other. Yes, he is transcendent. Yes, he is holy. But he also took on skin and bones and walked with us. So today we're going to see that God is a provider. And I hope for those of us here who maybe have given up on that name of God because of life, that God might re-spark that hope for you. And you might see him not just for your daily bread, but for eternal life. God reveals this name of his in the book of Genesis chapter 22. He's always been Jehovah Jireh, but he gives us that name in this chapter. I love this story. God has shown me so much about his fatherly care this week, and I hope you see it today. It's a story that we find in verse 1 of chapter 22. It says, after these things, God spoke to Abraham, saying, Abraham, he says, here I am. But the, after these things in verse 1 demand that we go to the preceding context and say, find out where are we at in this story. Who are the characters here? What we see is there's a man named Abraham in this story. Abraham means exalted father. But the great irony is God gives him that name, and it gives him that promise when he had no children. In fact, decades earlier, Abraham was an idol-worshiping man who lived in a distant land, and the God of eternity, Yahweh, the I Am, came and visited him in this place, revealed himself to him, and he said, Abraham, I need you to go to the place I'm telling you, so just go. No address, no GPS, but a command. And Abraham, what he knew was that this one God seemed to be the real God, and he started to follow. And in Genesis chapter 12, God says, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. All of the earth will be blessed by you. And then in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham's starting to get weary Life is going on. He's getting old. And he says, God, what about this promise of my descendants because I have no children right now? God takes him outside at night and says, Abraham, look up. Do you see the stars in the sky? So also will be your descendants from your own body. Abraham strictly had a promise He grew older and older. He was 100 years old with no child, and his wife, Sarah, I believe was about 90 at the time. When God came and revealed himself to them and says, hey, this time next year when I come, Sarah will be with child and have a baby. Sarah overheard God tell Abraham this, and she laughed. God calls her out, and she's like, "I I wasn't laughing. But if you're like me, we're like, no, we get why she was laughing. You're too old for that, Sarah. But sure enough, a year later, Sarah's holding in her arms her son, Isaac. And the name Isaac in Hebrew means laughter. Isaac was the child of promise. The one through whom God would bless all the nations of the earth. 
the one through whom God would fulfill his promise to Abraham. Isaac was the one of hope as Abraham was languishing in years. And we come to Genesis 22 after these things. After Isaac was born and grown up, he's about 20 years old perhaps at this time. God says to him, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This is a command that comes from left field. You feeling me here? What is God doing here? And we might think, Abraham might think, is God speaking figuratively here? Well, just so you know, burnt offerings get burnt. Burnt offerings get consumed. They don't stand up and walk away from their offering. This was a literal command, and Abraham understood it as such. But notice the description God gives to Abraham about his son. He says, take your son. And when we hear those words, we should think promise right away. Take your son, the son of promise. He had another son named Ishmael through a maidservant. That's another story for another time later in the series. But he says, take your only son. So take your son as a child of promise. Take your only son, that is the only son from you and Sarah, Isaac. Think inheritance here. Think descendants here. And then he says, the son whom you love. Think affection here. Think laughter in the household here. Abraham loved Isaac. He was not cold to his son, and God knew it. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. The land of Moriah is about 50 miles from where Abraham was at the time. It's near Jerusalem. And with uh, the wood that would be needed, plus the terrain, it would have and it did take him about three day's journey as we find. Abraham doesn't question God, but radically obeys God. Abraham, it says, saddles his donkey in verse 3 and goes to the place with two of his young men, his son Isaac, and the wood, fire, and knife. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. So now Abraham is obeying God, And he sees the place drawing near. Let me give you a word about obeying God in these kind of moments. You see, what's so crazy here is that the obedience to God here is not an easy task. And that's often the case. You know, you and I oftentimes are confronted with crossroads in life. The crossroad of obey and disobey. And everyone seems to make left turns into destruction and right turns into disobedience. And you want to go down Obey Avenue, but ahead of you, you don't know what's there. It's scary. There seems to be construction signs, if you know what I mean. Detours you're not planning on, but you know that's the path of, the path of obedience. Abraham's at that crossroad, and he's saying, I'm going to go forward. I don't know what's there ahead of me. That's what God's calling you and I to do. He gets closer to the place, and he sees the mountain God told him about. And I wonder if Abraham was like, man, I was hoping I wouldn't find a mountain here. I I was hoping there would be a detour along the way. But this path was straight. There was no other option, and Abraham went there. 
It says in verse 5 that Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. This is interesting what Abraham says here. Did you notice that? He says to his young men, stay here. We're taking the wood. We're going to go worship, which is the offering. And who's coming back? What does he say? I and the boy. So Abraham's having some rationale here. He doesn't know what's going on, but he's banking on some things about God. Abraham's walking toward the mountain and embracing what's on the mountain because he knows who's on the mountain. See, Abraham knows something you and I need to know and that, that God is a promise keeper. He doesn't backtrack or bend the truth. He doesn't misspeak or manipulate. He doesn't exaggerate, embellish, or error. He tells the truth. And the truth he told Abraham was that this boy, Isaac, will be the one. I don't know what's on that mountain, but I know who is on that mountain. Family, God has offered us hundreds, perhaps thousands of promises in his word. And as you walk the, the, the obedience avenue... And you don't know what's there. What you do know is who is there and whose promises are there. Titus 1 tells us that God never lies. Hebrews 6, 18 says, it is possible for God to lie. Numbers 20, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. 2 Timothy 2, 13 says, if we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. You see, truth and promise keeping are central to the character of God. And if he is faithful to himself, he will answer his promises. So Abraham is there saying the Lord will provide. That family is the fruit of the lips that hang on the branches of faith attached to the tree of God's character. So Abraham, in verse 6, takes the wood and burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. So Isaac is walking up the hill with the wood on the back that he's about to be sacrificed on. It's reminiscent of King David giving Uriah the Hittite the orders that Uriah will be killed as Uriah delivers them to Joab. It's like, this is, this is kind, of, kind of cruel sounding. Carry the wood upon which you're going about to be sacrificed. We're getting there. We're getting there. So there Abraham and Isaac walk up the mountain. I wonder if Abraham's thinking, God, I hope I heard you right. God, I, I hope this, this is what you plan. I'm just walking here. It's not blind faith. It's informed. Abraham's seen God work in many ways. But what's going on in Abraham's mind here? What's he doing? Look at verse 9. I'm sorry, let me back up. Isaac is walking up that mountain asking his dad, like, I see the firewood. I, I see that knife in your hand. Something's missing here, dad. 
I mean, this, this is probably starting to get a little eerie for Isaac. But Abraham says in verse 8, God will provide for himself a lamb. So in verse 9, when it came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar, and I'm sure Isaac's still looking around. And there, uh, he built an altar there and laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar. I'm sure his heart was racing. Perhaps tears in his eyes saying, God, I don't understand, but I know your character. My son, the child of promise, the one who brought laughter, is on an altar right now, God. It says in verse 10 that Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. That's biblical language there. Took the knife to slaughter his son. Perhaps hands trembling, not knowing what's going to happen. What's going on in Abraham's mind? I want to know what's there right now. And praise be to God that the Bible tells us, but not right here. So we got to know the word here. We got to do what we call biblical theology. We got to look at what the Bible has to say about Abraham, the man. Abraham's name shows up several hundred times in Scripture. But we find his name unpacked in some really awesome ways in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, which is known to us as the Hall of Faith. Because there in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we see men and women of faith in the past and saw what drove them to do the things that God God called them to do. So in Hebrews 11, verse 8, it reads, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive it as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So we see already Abraham is a man of faith. And then it says, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise. He and others were looking for a better country. So we see Abraham is a man of faith. But, but why put the knife in your hand, Abraham? What were you thinking? And then Hebrews 11, write this down. Hebrews 11 Verses 17 through 19 say this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Because he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham is there on Mount Moriah with his son on an altar, a knife in his hand, saying, God, I don't know what you're going to do, but all I know is Isaac is still the one. God, you didn't lie to me. So even if my son dies here today, you can and will have to bring him back because he's a child of promise. We see in verse 11 as Abraham grabbed the knife, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on your boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. God is never late, family. 
He's always on time with his provision. I'm sure Abraham was sweating it out. But God says, don't lay a hand on him. It was a test. He says, now I know that you fear me. And it's not that God doesn't know because God is omniscient, but it's through these tests of faith that God causes what's in our hearts to rise to the surface. And so God stops Abraham in his tracks. In verse 13, he, Abraham lifts up his eyes and looks, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the, Nor- the Lord will provide, which in Hebrew means Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said on this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The word Jireh, provide, means literally to see or to look, and it has a, a, a marker in front of the word that signifies to look after or in order to take care of. Essentially, that's what God's provision is. I asked you earlier, have you ever seen God provide? Family, if your faith has grown weak, and you have a hard time seeing God as Jehovah Jireh, today I want you to know that he comes through. When your back is against the wall, he'll make a way. God does answer prayers, not always the way we want, but he answers them because he knows what is best. He will come through. He will take care of you. He will provide the emotional strength when you've got nothing left. He'll give you the financial provisions when the money is tight, the relational provisions when you're alone, the wisdom for the decisions, the grace for the moment, the hope when there's none, the joy when it's done, and life from now to kingdom come. This is what our God does. This is not blind faith to say that God will provide. That's not foolish optimism. It is the fruit of the lips attached to the branches of faith that are connected to the tree of God's character. Let me say something about God's financial provisions, though. God provides, but he tells us to act. Abraham had to go to Mount Moriah to experience God's provision. Abraham had to build the altar, lay down the wood, and lift up his hand with the knife. Abraham had to take things to to obey God. He had to do certain things. When I was in seminary, um, seminary is expensive. And my friend had a full-ride scholarship from the most unlikely sources. He had an atheist uncle who died a generation before who was very wealthy. And his atheist uncle put money together to the side that said, this money should be used for my descendants' college and graduate school funds. And he wrote something in there that it couldn't be used for various religious purposes, but he left some sort of loophole in there that I don't know about, but my friend knew about because he got a full-ride scholarship by money from his atheist uncle. That's pretty dope. Me, on the other hand, I don't have any atheist uncles with money. God gave me a job. And I look at him and we would laugh. I say, God will provide for our education. He gave you a scholarship and he gave me a job. I was like, I don't know how that works in God's economy. 
but God provided. So I washed windows for three years and cleaned bathrooms and all kinds of other fun stuff. God is Jehovah Jireh, but he does call us to walk by faith and do things. See, family, we can trust God because he's got a reputation of parting seas, of knocking down walls without armies, of tearing down unbelief, of granting faith, healing wounds. If he provides for the sparrow, how much more will he provide for you? But you know what? Abraham only experienced Jehovah Jireh after experiencing some loss. You hear that? The loss of a hope, the loss of, of, of understanding, the stress and anxiety of what was going on. Abraham had to go through hardship to get to know God more intimately. You hear me, fam? Sometimes we must be acquainted with grief and trials to become better acquainted with the God who loves us. Those aren't easy things to accept. But you know what? Some of the people that I admire most in my life are those who've suffered the most. And they come out saying, God is still good. He provides for me. I've got an expiration date on my life, and I know it, but God is still good. People who've said things like that, I've heard them. I've heard their words. It's the fruit of their lips, connected to the branches of their faith, attached to the tree of God's character. I want to give a brief word here before we move on to parents who've got children that they hold on to too tightly. It, it, it's not easy holding our children with an open hand. I confess that. But as we've been learning in our parenting class, your children are arrows that you put in your bow and you draw back your bow and you must release it one day. So as you draw back, you take aim. Where are you aiming with your children? Don't aim for them to live next door to you. Don't aim for your basement. You say, God, what is your will for my child? And God's will is that they would love him and fear him and lay down their lives for him. Whether it's in Uganda or South Africa or Japan or the inner city of Chicago in its toughest neighbors, neighborhoods to be a witness to him. And you take that arrow and you say, Lord in faith, I'm releasing him. I'm releasing her to serve you in the business world, in education, as missionaries, in ministry, in athletics, but all for you, God. Have your way with them. So don't hold on too tightly to your children. Know that you must release the arrow and do so for the glory of God. I will also tell you, God will not tell you to burn your child as an offering on an altar. God will not tell you to sacrifice your son. How do I know that? Because a son has already been sacrificed. You see, Jehovah Jireh 
is his name in our daily needs, but it's greater his name for our spiritual ones. There is a father family who has a one and only son. And that son's name is Jesus. That father's name is God the Father. And his one and only son is the son whom the father loves. And this son did not ask, Father, where is the lamb? Because this son knew that he was the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. This son carried the wood on his back. This son went up the hill called Golgotha. This son went to the cross so that through his death and through his resurrection, Jehovah Jireh will provide forgiveness and eternal life and eternal healing and all his goodness to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He is Jehovah Jireh then, and he is Jehovah Jireh now. He is our rescuer. And though Abraham received his son back from the dead figuratively, our eternal father received his son back from the dead literally. This is why Paul says in Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We serve Jehovah Jireh family. And yes, he gives us our daily bread. There are provisions in this life, and I don't want to minimize those. We've seen God come through in miraculous ways. But never forget that whatever thing he does in this life materially, pales in comparison to what he has provided for us eternally through faith in Jesus. There are times we're hungry. There are times our illnesses are not healed. There are times there are wounds that linger. God is still Jehovah Jireh, but he's telling us, look beyond today. Look into eternity where I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death and no more hurting. That is the pinnacle of my provisions for all of eternity. So you might have to suffer now. But even in your suffering, you get to become more acquainted with me whom you will be with for eternity. He is our provider. He is the author and perfecter, perfecter of our faith. And this is why Paul again says in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. He's provided for us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you question God is your gyra today, I want you to know that if you put your faith in Jesus, this right here, what I'm about to read, is what he provides for you. It says that God chose us. He chose you in him before the foundation of the world so that we should be blameless and holy before him. In love, he predestined you for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious, glorious grace 
with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us all in all wisdom and all insight. Jehovah Jireh is your provider. Is God the man upstairs, family? This does not sound like a man upstairs. This does not sound like someone who stands above us and wants no dealing with those below him. This does not, this does not sound like a mere man, but almighty God. And so my prayer for us, family, today is that you would be able to say in your heart of hearts, the Lord will provide. He will provide for me. And then when people say that's blind faith, that's foolish optimism, you tell them no. It is grounded in something greater. These are the fruit of my lips that are connected to the branches of my faith which are attached to the tree of my God's character. He doesn't lie. He keeps his promise, and he has been and will always be Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider family. To God be the glory. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, oh God, for being our eternal Father who sent the eternal Son to die for us, to give us eternal life. My Lord, I know there are brothers and sisters in this room who have struggled with their faith because there have been prayers that they they haven't been answered and they don't see you as Jehovah Jireh. There are wounds that have not been healed. There are scenarios and circumstances that linger. God, help them see, though, Lord, that in their struggle, you are, you are forging a faith in them. You're calling them to trust you. And you're calling them to look beyond this life and to see your eternal provisions. Lord, we confess, God, our unbelief. We confess pushing you away. Lord, we pray, God, that you cause faith to rise here in these four walls today. Oh, Father, we adore you. God, let us testify to the world how you've provided and taken care of us. And may a dying world see how good you are. We bless your name. We bless your name and say, Hallelujah, Yahweh. Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me, family, as we sing of the goodness of our Father? Our brothers and sisters who are on our prayer team for this morning, would you come forward and go to the back? Please make yourself available. We invite you to respond in faith and ask a man or a woman here to pray for you. As we've seen this last song, this these prayer, the prayer team, our prayer leaders, they, they haven't got life all together, but man, they're eager to pray. They want you to come and they want to cry out to our God on your behalf. 
So would you come forward with your prayer need, with your burden, and let them pray for you. Let's sing together, family, about our good, good Father.